0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim
1: Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 11th, 2019. On this week's episode, we catch up on the latest from spring training. A storyline that was going to loom over camp was Eloy Jimenez, and if he could make Rick Hunt sweat, by forcing the issue with his performance. Well, he's not forcing the issue, and is that a concern? And while that hasn't happened for Jimenez as he struggles at camp, we, of course, have plenty of injuries abound to talk about when it comes to the White Sox as we get the latest on Luis Robert and Nicky DeMonaco's injuries. Plus, a look at the remaining 25-man battles still going on in training camp, and Adam Jones signs with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and, of course, your questions P.O. Sox. Helping us get caught up with the news out of the Chicago White Sox camp down in Arizona is our good friend of the podcast. He's the Chicago White Sox beat reporter for MLB.com. It's Scott Merkin. And, he'll, and hello, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show again.
2: I, I want you to know how much, uh, how highly I think of your podcast. And I'm still talking publicly after the Michigan debacle last night. So, you know, <laughs> it, it was a tough time for, for all of us, but I'm still moving forward on it.
0: All right. Well, I I am very appreciative. We'll talk about Michigan, (laughs) Michigan basketball in a moment. (laughs) But the uh, Uh,
2: we can skip that if you want, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: you know, for the White Sox, you know, the thing that jumps out so far out of spring training, Scott, is the offense. They are putting up runs in bunches down in Arizona and nobody has been better. Then Tim Anderson, he's 12 for 25 at the plate. He's almost batting 500, which even for spring training is a bit crazy. Uh, And he's hitting the ball very hard even when he is making outs. What do you think is fueling Anderson's hot start to the spring?
2: Well, I think one of the things is he no longer has to answer uh, questions from us about if a certain free agent comes here, do you think you're going to move off shortstop? (laughs) But after, you know, working so tirelessly to make that position his own, And really, I mean, you watched a lot of him last year, Josh. I mean, the last two-thirds of the season, I would say he was as good as anyone in the American League. I didn't watch the National League enough to know exactly over there, but certainly as good as anyone in the American League defensively at shortstop. He had played – he had, you know, gotten to that point. And he had talked a little bit about, you know, his offense. He thought his timing was off, which is kind of interesting because I had talked to Aloy Jimenez this morning, and that was the same kind of thing that he said – he's struggling with in spring training right now was getting his, you know, his timings just a little bit off. And Anderson did a lot of things. He worked with uh, Todd Steverson, the hitting coach in the off season, to kind of set up a plan and it's paying off right now. And I, I really yeah. think, yeah, I think you saw Tim get really close to a breakout year last year and had some great numbers, had career highs. And I think like six or seven different offensive categories. And th- this could be the year that he really takes off. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be a, 320 hitter or, you know, drive in a hundred, but I, I think this could be a 30, 30 guy. I really do believe that he has no fear on the bases. So, you know, he will, Wow. I mean, he was 20 last year. Right. So I think, you know, going a little mm-hmm. higher than that is not unexpected at this stage of his career.
0: Now I'm glad you mentioned Jimenez because Eloy has been struggling out of the gate, And I think it makes Rick Hans job a lot easier at the end of spring training to explain why Eloy will start the year down in Charlotte if he continues to struggle at the plate is there anything that Eloy is trying to do differently to get the timing back or is it just that simple that it is spring he's a little bit rusty and it's just a matter of time before he gets the timing back
2: yeah I think that's all it is you know he just I asked him even you know cause he's not starting today if it helps sometimes to just you know if get a game away and just work in the cage. and he said nah he wants to keep playing you know just getting as many bats as he can is going to get him there and, you know again i I think it's be careful not to and and i'm just as guilty as anyone else trust me of maybe reading too much into great spring stats and bad spring stats you know a line i always use and i'm sure many others have used is no one ever you know made the hall of fame and gave a speech and said you know i'm so thankful for that great spring training i had in 2008 that got or or 1988 that got me into 2008 would be a little early for the hall of fame uh that got me into you know cooperstown so you know, he's he told me this morning he's really just working on the process. He he feels like he's having good at-bats. He feels good, and the timing is just a little bit off. And, you know, I mean, maybe they will see. I mean, it's hard to forget what he did last year, which was, you know, monumental offensively. I mean, really one of the, you know, the better minor league offensive forces in baseball. So, you know, if if it is a little more time down there, that's fine. But I, I think, you know, we, we shouldn't jump too much by a 3-for-23 start for him in Cactus League play.
0: I agree And I do agree with you with spring training stats that oftentimes we do get a little caught up in it. But there's moments like watching a player like Danny Mendick, who is not on anybody's radar for the Chicago White Sox. And he's having a really good spring training so far, Scott. I mean, last year he played a full year with Birmingham down in double A and he hit 14 home runs and hit 247 with a three forty on base percentage and three ninety five slugging which is what you expect from a second baseman he's twenty five so he's a little bit older on the prospect side um but what has mendig done so far is making adjustments in camp to be this impressive so far and do you know what the white sox think about him
2: i think one of the great things with him is he just is enjoying this experience not saying that you know the veterans who have been here forever aren't enjoying it but I think the veterans who have, you know, like a Yonder Alonso or a Jose Abreu or a Wellington Castillo who have gone through nine, ten spring trainings, not as many for Jose, but the other two for sure, you know, they get down here and they know exactly what they have to do and they know exactly how many bats they need and how many games they need. And I think Mendick is just, he's willing to pretty much do everything. I think, you know, if you let him, he'd he'd line the field for Roger Bossard if that's what they needed right now. You know, he said he's comfortable across third, short, and second, but he said if they want him to play outfield, he'll do that too. You know, I I just think, I don't know if there's anything he's doing specifically as much as just he's gotten the opportunity and he's taking advantage of it and just loving every minute of it. I know the coach, I talked to some coaches and they've, they've been impressed not just by his production, but the fact that he handles all three infield positions so comfortably. So, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a guy who's going to be a, a mainstay of the rebuild, but this certainly is a guy who put himself on the map to, you know, definitely help out in the in the near future, or maybe a little bit after that. And so, I, I think it's a it, you always have one or two of these great spring training stories about guys who you know you you don't expect that suddenly come into play, and he's the one for the Sox right now. And and again, only added on to it by the fact that he's just you know he just loves our mitt. I was you know joking about how he told his mom that he played against Mike Trout on Friday, which you know and Alper <laughs> for that matter, which is kind of cool for him. So yeah, keep an eye on him. I mean, this may be a guy who could. See some time as a utility player at some point this year.
0: You know, those are great things to brag about. Though I, I think every major leaguer should brag about to their mom. I got to play against Mike Trout. Yeah,
2: yeah, he started that game, which was which was even you know, and, and then there'll be there's a split squad game too. There, he got hit by a pitch in that game. You know, I talked to him Friday, and I'm like, "Geez, I, I jinxed the poor kid. He's having a great camp." I go and interview him, and <laughs> he gets hit by a pitch. But luckily, he said it didn't really hit any bone; it was mostly muscle. So he was, you know, just wrapped and ready to go yesterday. He didn't play, but I think he was there and surprised. But there's a split squad game Tuesday, so I would guess that, you know, he may get another opportunity. I mean, ultimately he's, you know, going to go back to the minor league side sooner than later, but just a great camp for him. And, you know, just just really, I, I'm sure they knew who he was already, but really kind of put his name on the radar, I think, for the coaches and Ricky Renteria who have watched him so far.
0: And last year you mentioned Mende getting hits, you know, That was the big storyline for the White Sox in spring training was the amount of injuries that they had. It was just incredible on the significance of these injuries. And so far, there have been some nagging injuries. Daniel Polka's been dealing with the hamstring. Uh, Luis Robert sprained his finger on a slide. Uh, And then you have Nikito Monaco, his nasty collision into the wall this previous week. He is on the concussion protocol. Do you have any news or updates on these injuries for the White Sox players so far?
2: Yeah, I saw Nicky in the clubhouse this morning, didn't talk to him. Uh, You know, I think he's still kind of adjusting, kind of getting back. Seemed, you know, upbeat, was talking to some players, talking to the media relations staff. So I think he's, you know, getting better, but it's a process. You know I mean? Sometimes when you have the severity of that, we've seen players like, you know, Joe Maurer or Justin Morneau, who have gone through the same sort of issue, not the same sort of, you know, action, but just a concussion type injury. And it, it it takes you a while to get back, and sometimes it lingers with you longer. So I'm sure they're going to be very, very careful with uh, with Nicky. But he looked, you know, like I said, he looked upbeat talking talking to his teammates and all that. So that's a, that's a good sign because you know, he was very woozy and 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 nauseous, as Ricky pointed out when he uh, when he left the field on Thursday. I guess it would be now it was Thursday. All these days run together out here in Arizona. You you never know what day it is you got to really kind of check your phone and check your calendar. And now they don't update their, they don't spring forward in the time. So you never know what the heck is going on or how many hours are different <laughs> from where you're at. So, um, you know, Robert, uh, we haven't talked to Ricky yet today as, as the time we're taping this, but you know, he was cleared to play. He jammed his thumb sliding. He's again, seemed in good spirits in the clubhouse. I would guess he's, you know, if he's not in the game Tuesday with a split squad, then you may, you know, have a question again to say, okay, where's, where's he at it? But again, it's spring training. So he's not breaking camp with the team. They're just being very cautious to get him ready. I, I think the one that's going to be interesting and we should find out more, like I would say in the next week is Dane Dunning. Cause I believe I was off the day that they made the announcement, but I believe it was somewhere around a week to 10 days ago that I think it was about, yeah, it was about 10 days ago, nine days ago that they said he's going to be, you know, resting for nine or 10 days and then going on a throwing program. So it'd be good to get an update to see how he's feeling from there and just see, you know, what the next step is for him, if, it, if he really can take the throwing program and try and get back into it again, or if there's something else they're going to have to do. So, yeah, and Palka's in the lineup today, so, you know, he seems to be back on track. A lot of nagging injuries. Brandon Geyer is back playing, although not playing the outfield yet after having a sore elbow. So some things to work through in spring training, but nothing, except Nicky's, you know, collision, nothing really tremendously serious, it looks like, aside from maybe, you know, what's going to happen with Dane Dunning.
0: Well, knock on wood, that's the last time we have to talk about uh, White Sox injuries out of spring training. Doubtful. It always happens. As you mentioned, Scott, it is spring training. I mean,
2: Vlad Guerrero today, right? Oblique yeah. strain, and he's missing three three weeks, is it? And those oblique strains are tough, man. I remember talking to Adam Dunn, who played through an oblique strain that last month of was it the 2012 season where they were in first for like 117 days, yeah. I believe, right? Robin's first year. And you know, played through it because they needed him. He had no choice, really. They, he was one of their better players, and he said like he didn't feel well until like a month at, into the off season. You know that those are those are tricky injuries. So you know, you, you got to be careful those. But yeah, it happens. It, it's it happens far too often. You know, not far too often, but it happens a lot in spring training.
0: Now, on the pitching side, you wrote about this for MLB.com on why the White Sox could have. The best bullpen in the American League Central this year, and they have strong veterans like Alex Colomay and Kelvin Herrera and Nate Jones. But some of the young guys in the White Sox farm system are pitching really well at camp, and some are not. So, who do you think is pitching well enough to possibly break camp with the White Sox in their bullpen to start the 2019 season?
2: Well, I think it's interesting because you know you have it's it's a lot of numbers games when you're getting down to like the seventh or eighth reliever depending on how many they keep or the last position player on the roster. I mean, you want to have guys who can help you obviously, but you know, their 40 man is at 40 right now. They'll gain a spot, you know, when Michael Kopech goes on the 60 day DL and they'll lose that spot. They'll become, you know, they're going to add urban Santana obviously onto it at some point. So, you know, it's interesting to see like guys who like Evan Marshall's had a good camp, but I'm not sure if he has a legitimate shot to break camp, you know, out of, out of the gate here. You know, he may be a guy who gets used at some point during the year. I mean, I think Ryan Burr has been great. Ryan Burr has, you know, been pretty solid from when, when they've used him and he's had a real good spring. I think Carson Fulmer, even though the numbers aren't perfect, have has been throwing the ball real well down here. I think he's a guy who could probably, you know, sneak on as not sneak on. It's a bad choice word be put on is, you know, the seventh or eighth reliever on the team. But I think there's a lot of guys who are pretty well set. I think you have, um, you know, uh, Jones, Colome, Herrera, Fry, probably Ben Whelos if, if uh, Santana is ready to break camp as the fifth starter. Then you have another lefty, which I would guess is Caleb Frere. So that's six guys right there, right? So now you're looking at, you know, is Ian Hamilton going to be ready? I, you know, he threw the other day, so he'd be a good bet if he's ready. So then it comes down to the eighth spot and that, you know, Dylan Covey has been great if he's not the fifth starter. Carson's looked good. A guy like Ryan Burr. So a lot of options to to go to there.
0: Yeah, Ryan Burr has been very impressive in spring training so far. I'm still a bit suspect of the White Sox starting pitching. It was a good sign to see Carlos Rodon and Ronaldo Lopez look really good in their most recent outings. Uh, But you mentioned Manny Manny Benuelos as a possibility in the bullpen. He looked really good in his last start. Should we assume that if Irving Santana is healthy and prepared to start the year? With the White Sox, that he's going to be the fifth starter, or does Ben Wales have a legit chance of beating Santana out for that spot?
2: Yeah, I should add one more guy to the bullpen, and that's Juan Manaya. And Juan's had a real, you know, rough go of it down here in spring training. But then again, if yes. you flip, if you flip the script, last forty-seven games he pitched for the Sox after he got called back up for good last year, two-seven So yeah, so they know what he's about, and he's also out of options. So I think it comes down to you know, when they make that fi- that final decision, assuming they keep eight relievers, which they have in the past the past couple of years, you know, are they worried about risking losing him, or do they feel like they, you know, he's gonna turn it around once the season starts. Because again, these spring training numbers are immaterial. You just gotta see how he's throwing the ball. I I personally think they did not sign Irvin Santana to to be anything but the fifth starter, assuming he's healthy. You know, he still is not pitched in a cactus league game. So I would assume he's gotta get a couple of those. And you know, there could be a chance that he starts off on the DL and, you know, comes in and pitches, you know, two weeks into the season or something like that. But, you know, they have made a point of talking a couple times about how their scout, Bill Young, uh, better known as Yogi, really liked Manny Banuelos with the Dodgers last year system, Dodgers system last year and stressed to Rick Hunt that they need to go get him before he became a six year free agent. So they traded, I think Justin Yurchak for him, picked up Banuelos, put him on the 40 man, And I don't think you make all that effort. And then he has looked good, too, to not have him at somewhere on the staff. So I really believe if he's not the fifth starter opening the season, that he's going to be in the bullpen as one of the lefties somewhere.
0: Now, we did get a Patreon question from one of our listeners, from Roy Hoffman. And Roy wanted to ask you, Scott, if the White Sox do carry 13 pitchers and two catchers, six infielders, and four outfielders, who do you think are the likely outfielders to start with the White Sox on opening day?
2: Well, let's assume that it's Danny Duffy who's, you know, who's pitching on opening day for the Royals. I guess it could be Keller, right? Is that the rookie last year who had the, the great season for them? But I, I would think it's Duffy. So yep. you, you probably have Larry Garcia out there because Ricky does like that, has, has been prone to the matchups in the past. I would think John Jay's out there and Adam Engel. So, and you also will have, you know, on the bench then that would leave you with either Castillo or McCann, whoever's not starting that game. And then um, who am I missing? Uh, Palka. And then I think Jose Rondon, because they really did like what they saw from the last year, and he is also, like Manalia, is out of options. So I think he, at least to start the year, is going to be the guy who breaks camp with the team. So you have those three options. You know, we 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 keep hearing we haven't seen him yet, but we hear that Jose, who played left field in winter ball, is going to get a chance to play the outfield, which would make him even more versatile and valuable. So we'll see if that comes up during spring training.
0: Hmm, that would be very interesting. Uh, I know you didn't want to talk about them, but next week is the start of March Madness, Scott. And if I look at my bracket, how deep should I pencil in your Michigan Wolverines?
2: Well, you know, I always want to talk about it. I love the the beloved alma mater. And, uh, you know, Michigan State was just a better team. It missed, the problem with Michigan is Matthews has been hurt, and they just don't have depth. Mm-hmm. They, they had a good freshman class, but none of these guys this year, you know, hopefully next year, they will have really developed into major minutes or even, like, minor minutes sort of guys. So, they had one guy off the bench and that was Isaiah livers and he's been starting with Matthews out. So I I think they have a shot, you know, they got to shoot the three. Well, that's one of their key things. They got to get Teske involved in the game because he's their only big guy. They really have. And beeline seems when he has these good teams seems to do well on neutral courts. You know, they've won the last two big 10 tournaments. They went to the finals last year. They've had a a really good three-year run in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I, I think, they should be, because they're going to be, I think, no lower. Even if they, let's say they lose the first game of the big ben tournament, I still think the lowest they drop is a three-seed overall in the tournament. So I would think, you know, they've done a good job against teams that they're clearly better than. And I think, you know, Sweet 16 would be very realistic. Past that, it's, it's all going to be kind of a crap shoot, depending on how well they shoot and that sort of thing. I mean, there, there's a, you know, I think Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, I don't know about Purdue. Purdue is amazing that they actually won 16 games in that conference. I saw them play Michigan early on, and, Michigan just just crushed them. But, you know, credit to Matt Painter on that. I'm not sure if they're really built for a big NCAA tournament run, though. But, you know, for sure, Michigan and Michigan State up near the top, maybe Maryland, maybe Wisconsin. You never know what they're going to do tournament-wise. So there are a few options there that that could contend. I'm not sure if any of them are championship material, but certainly contention to to move on a few rounds.
0: So there you go, folks. When you fill in your brackets next week, put the Michigan Wolverines in the Sweet 16 because Scott Merkin said so. And if they get upset, you know who to blame. <laughs> I'm
2: kidding. If I don't say Final Four, you know I'm really worried about their chances. That that that's, that's pretty much a given. Yeah, I'm pushing for the I'm pushing for the rule. I don't know if anyone ever saw the Karate Kid three. I don't think many people did, but in that rule, since he was the defending All Valley champion, he just got to go right to the championship. What a, what a great tournament that is, huh? <laughs> and just fight one fight. <laughs> And I think Michigan, as the defending runner-up last year, should be allowed to just go back to the championship games <laughs> since they beat Villanova in season and just play one game for it all. I don't think the NCAA is going to agree with me on that one, but hey, it doesn't hurt to yeah, ask, right?
0: exactly, exactly. And if basketball doesn't work <laughs> out, the baseball team looks really strong to start the 2019 season.
2: And actually, the women's basketball team has been pretty good, too. So, you know, who knows?
0: You can follow Scott on Twitter. He's at Scott Merkin, and you can always read his excellent work on MLB.com and WhiteSox.com. Scott, as always, thanks for joining the show and giving us an update from Arizona. Anytime, Josh. Before chatting with Jim, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. and That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever as they search multiple ticket sites and grade every ticket based on value and SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time. If you love college basketball, the Big Ten tournament is happening in Chicago at the United Center. And SeatGeek has some great deals going on for the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday games. And that's where I go to buy tickets. And I use SeatGeek all the time to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. And you should, too. And if you haven't used SeatGeek before... Our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKS. That's promo code SOCKS to save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Now on the Socks Machine podcast, I'm joined by the managing editor of SocksMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Congrats on your victory in the White Sox Twitter personalities contest ran by our friends, the Section 108 crew.
1: Congratulations to you, too. I think we we both face each other, right? We do. We, uh... So Sox Machine podcast listeners have to pick their favorite. Oh, man. See. Please tweet exactly who you picked and why. <laughs> oh, God. I don't really want to know why. But only only to Josh.
0: Uh, I'm voting for you, Jim. So <laughs> I'm voting for you. Uh, so you
1: could go up against White Sox, Dave yeah. and the sweet 16. I think you have a better shot against uh, him than I do based uh, on his Twitter presence.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'd rather have you, I'd rather that you have that honor, Jim. All right. We'll
1: see how this goes. <laughs>
0: oh but anyways yeah if you guys have been missing it out uh the section 108 crew has been running a white Sox twitter personalities march madness style bracket again you can follow them at from the 108 as they are running the polls every single day i think for the upcoming week so you guys can vote and yeah you can just you could pick your favorite between jim and i so uh vote for jim Anyways, uh, <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> uh, we just had Scott Merkin on the show, Jim, and he shared that Nicky DeMonaco seems to be alert and upbeat in the clubhouse after his really nasty injury. And this is kind of where I want to start the conversation because concussions are very serious injuries. As someone who's had five of them, I can share some pretty painful experiences with concussions. I'm a bit concerned, Jim, because maybe this is something that, Delmonico could shake off in a week and he's back. Or maybe it's something he can never shake off. We have seen examples in Major League Baseball. You know, Joe Maurer is one who struggled and he had to switch positions because of concussions. It was doubtful for Delmonico to make the 25-man roster out of camp anyways. But what do you think is the lasting impact for Delmonico to suffer this type of injury at this stage in spring training?
1: Well, I think you know you mentioned uh, a Mauer and such, and I think when it comes to concussions, it's you know, at least my understanding of it i'm i'm you know I'm not an expert in the field, but based on a reading and such in the n f l controversy uh it seems like you know history has a lot to do with it, you know how quickly you can recover and how um yeah i guess how damaging one can be and and so if Delmonico's had a few you know that's that's more concerning than if this is his first or second so uh, without knowing that it's hard to say exactly i guess the the ramifications of it but uh yeah it was a bad collision it didn't look bad in real time uh necessarily it looked like he was tracking the fly ball not running full speed like you know aaron rowand in his collision where he was basically uh you know running 95 if not 100 percent, into the wall you know uh, Delmonico looked like he was more loping it but at, at the same time he you know his loping is faster than my sprinting probably and you know he's also a bigger guy so just a lot of force going into that so uh, yeah, it's tricky, but, uh, you know, given that there's still a couple weeks left in spring, there's a chance he can get back, but, you know, even when he was healthy and, and hitting well, it seemed like he had an outside chance of making 25-man roster. I, I guess he'd be buying, a, you know, an opportunity to get into uh, the, the lineup for a, a week or two until, you know, fingers crossed Eloy Jimenez comes up, but uh, when you look at the roster and you look at, um, you know, especially if they're carrying eight pitchers and a short bench, uh, you know, in, on the bench, you have probably Jose Rondon, since he's out of options. You have James McCann, backup catcher. Uh, you have, um, you know, there's there's a spot for one outfielder. And, um, you know, if you have Lauri, you know, as a utility guy and, and being that fourth outfielder, then there wasn't really room for Delmonico, uh, with Jay being a lefty outfielder and Alonzo being a lefty first baseman. So I expected him to start the year in Charlotte, even though nobody's really saying that because, <laughs> you know, Delmonico is kind of a popular figure, I, I guess, and, uh, very marketable, but he just didn't have a good year last year and, and doesn't really beat anybody out. So I guess this injury, if anything, just kind of makes it a, um, yeah, it makes it harder for him to climb that obstacle. And, you know, perhaps depending on how long it lasts, maybe it's a, um, a way to gracefully, um, send him down to Charlotte to just get reps and, and treat it like an extended spring training of sorts.
0: I just don't want him to rush anything. And yeah. hopefully the white Sox play this the right way. And, even if Delmonico says that he's okay and that he wants to get back on the field, I think it's because that he wants to make this 25 man roster who wouldn't want to make a 25 man roster right out of the spring training. Mm -hmm. Uh, but this is a serious injury and hopefully Delmonico does take the necessary time to heal from this concussion and that this doesn't have any lasting impact on his ability to play baseball. That's the biggest concern that I have because, again, concussions vary for everyone. And when you hear from Craig Council, the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, share the story of what he heard from the Brewers bullpen when DeMonico ran into the gate, uh, it, it's a pretty nasty collision that he had with that fence. And uh, best to Nikki DeMonico, and hopefully he has a quick recovery. Now, the White Sox bats have been impressing in spring training. Yoan Makata hit his first home run on Sunday, but he's been doing a very good job at the plate. Tim Anderson, we spoke about with Scott Merkin earlier in the show. He's spraying hits all over. Jose Abreu looks like he's ready for opening day. And there is Eloy Jimenez, who is hitting three for 23, Jim. And that's not good. He's yet to walk. The strikeouts are piling up. And this is the first time I've seen Jimenez off, and I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, it's just spring training. Stats don't mean anything out of spring training. But I was hoping, Jim, that Jimenez could make Rick sweat with a really strong spring. That hasn't been the case. Do you think it's just a timing issue for Jimenez, or do you think there's something more offensively when you watch him?
1: Uh, yeah, he says it's timing and, you know, based on his confidence and the fact that, you know, we haven't seen him struggle like this before, uh, I, I can remember, you know, a couple bad games in a row and I think it's usually around the time of an injury coming, whether coming back or going to the DL, uh, we've seen it, but not, you know, uh, I guess not covering this long a stretch and that includes days off and such, but still, um, It wouldn't surprise me, you know, if he feels the need to, you know, given, given the pressure and even though he's, you know, has the utmost confidence and and perhaps the easiest confidence of a a White Sox prospect we've seen, uh, it it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he thought that he had to go all out to, you know, and and hit, you know, uh, three or four homers and, you know, do the unreal highlight things that people tweet about and, and try to force the issue and, and, and make it uh very awkward for the front office to send him down and and perhaps the reason he's doing it but uh it's you know i guess if you want to be scared if you want to be the, the the most uh skeptical or or fearful interpretation of it kind of reminds me of matt davidson after the white sox traded for him and he had a service time issue himself and he had a great spring and they sent him down and then in charlotte he just uh looked terrible and and he had a couple awful years, and, and Charlotte never looked like he was going to get back to the majors. So the fact that he did have uh, a little bit of time with the White Sox, even if it you know didn't you know resulted in him being non-tendered, was a little bit of a victory. And 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 I don't think uh, you know Jimenez's swing as as flawed as Davidson's, and, and he's got more bat speed and coverage. So you know that's not an issue. But it does you know remind me that these these factors or uh, the, these things do factor into struggles a little bit, and. Hopefully, in, in Jimenez's case, it's just, you know, bad timing, plus a little bit of pressure. And, you know, should he be sent down? Should he not uh, you know, finish with a, you know an average in the low 200s and, you know, uh, uncharacteristic amount of strikeouts? And the White Sox are not going to find the timing. Uh, given that was the outcome all along that everybody expected, perhaps he can shake it off, uh, you know, blast the ball, you know, out of uh, BB&T ballpark a few times and then get called up and it's all forgotten. Yeah, hopefully
0: Uh, Mm because we have seen an example now out of Toronto. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has suffered an injury. It's a strained oblique. He'll be out for at least the next three weeks before resuming baseball activity, which means Vlad Jr. could miss some time in April. And this also helps with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they were already making up excuses on why Vlad Jr., wasn't going to be joining the team, some, I think, really bizarre excuses, uh, much worse than what Rick Hahn has came up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Merck shared the story in the beginning of the show about how Adam Dunn dealt with the strained oblique at the end of 2012, and Dunn told Merck that he really didn't recover until November. And, you know, these are the types of injuries that nag all season long, and now I wonder how it'll impact Vlad Jr. in 2019, Just because he offensively has so much power, and you just wonder if that strain oblique never does heal properly if that impacts his ability at the plate. With that said, adding in Eloy's struggles during spring training, does this open the door for a better chance at becoming Rookie of the Year for Eloy Jimenez if Vlad Jr. has to deal with the strain oblique?
1: I suppose it does although Jimenez has his own history of uh little nagging injuries that uh you know take him out of the lineup for 20 or 30 games a year so uh it seems like you know I guess uh you knock on wood and you and you don't uh uh, spend too much time trying to do leapfrogging with injuries just because uh he's he's had some bad luck and he's also had a a little bit of fragility that uh, he'll need to work on to um I, I guess make it less of a concern but yeah, I, I think with uh, with with uh, Guerrero, um, you know, that's a case where if you have an oblique injury and, you know, they, they're really um, concerned about it, or really conservative or pretend to be concerned about it, take a really conservative track, you know, you could be looking at, you know, Super 2 if that comes up, you know, if you need some time to get back into, uh, uh, you know, get some reps and you're talking about, you know, getting regular action mid-May and then maybe they just keep dragging their feet longer and longer and, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they try to limit them there too, so... Uh, hopefully, you know, with Jimenez, it's more of a, uh, of a mid-April conversation to where shows up in Charlotte, rakes, um, you know, they, they have an outfield corner open, make it happen rather than, you know, having some kind of injury that takes him out into May. And then all of a sudden you have to wait till, you know, late June, early July for him to show up and... and you know, start entertaining White Sox fans the way he should have been probably last July.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine how folks would feel in Toronto if the Blue Jays played that game with Vlad Jr.
1: Yeah. I, you know, the, the one thing is oblique injuries can be, as you mentioned, can be tough to shake and, and require some time and, and can be re-injured. So, um, you know, that are it would be really surprising that if that happened, I think he's, you know, he's too natural a hitter and, um, you know, it seems like he can probably hit it 80%. Um, you know, he doesn't need to be perfectly healthy. You know, oblique is kind of a necessary muscle, but um, he doesn't seem like he overdoes anything. It just all comes so easy to him. So I imagine that, you know, when he comes back, um, he'll be fine. So I, it seems like it would be yeah, mm-hmm. like riot inducing, I think, if uh, you know, if Canadians are capable of it to keep him down that long.
0: Yeah, if there is a prop bet that you guys found in Vegas or your bookie on who would show up first Eloy Jimenez or Vlad Jr., I would quickly make the bet on Eloy showing up in the major leagues first. Because I don't know what – let's say if he does recover nicely, he's going to take a couple of weeks to get back on track hitting-wise. I mean, Vlad Jr. is looking at what, late April, early May mm-hmm. now with this injury? Whereas we think that Eloy Jimenez will be called up around April 15th when the White Sox come home from the Bronx – and open a homestand against the Kansas City Royals on that Monday. Uh, so it'd be interesting. I, I think I say Eloy Jimenez now will show up in the major leagues before Vlad Jr. Would you agree with that, or do you still think that maybe the White Sox hold out Jimenez for all of April?
1: I don't think all of April. I think that seems excessive, assuming that... Uh, I, I think it would take an injury, I'll put it that way. Uh, some kind of calf okay. strain or some kind of you know minor tweak that uh, you know basically... Requires him to take an extra two weeks to get back on track to where may comes into uh, the equation. Knock on wood. Let's not, let's not that happen. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Let's not have that happen.
0: All right. Now we just have two weeks left in spring training. I wouldn't say the 25 man roster is completely ironed out yet. Yes, we have a good idea and who would make, the 25-man roster because of options, because of minor league option contracts signed to major league starters like Irving Santana, for example. But even manager Rick Renteria, he's avoiding naming his opening day starter, Jim. And there are still some position player battles out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which ones are you paying close attention to that could decide on who makes a 25-man roster to start 2019?
1: I think when it comes to the uh 25 man roster it seems mostly set as long as Daniel Palka you know returns fully healthy and operational i think he's still uh uh you know shaking off some rust and getting back into the groove of spring training so um you know given that he has a relatively short track record you know he's in a position where he, nothing's a, quite a given for him yet so i i think if you know he were to miss some more games or uh, not quite find a groove, you know, perhaps it opens up that roster spot um, for somebody else, uh, especially like, you know, if they want to keep Jose Rondon, um, you know, and, and want to make room for him where, you know, in, an, in a normal situation, Rondon is options, Larry, Larry Garcia handles, you know, his infield duties. That seems, uh, you know, I, I guess where the roster gets tighter. But uh, if Polk is healthy, I think the positions are pretty much set. Uh, as we talked about with Delmonico, I think the bullpen might be a little bit more open just because uh, none of the lefties have really asserted themselves yet. Uh, I imagine Jace Fry will be one of them because he's the White Sox best reliever last year. But, um, you know, he's looked really shaky and Bummer and Frere really haven't done much. And uh, Madero's was optioned uh, down already. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit shaky right now. I, I think the righties are mostly set, although Ryan Burr, I, I'm kind of curious Uh, what this great spring for him means just because uh, uh, he was, you know, he was impressive in Charlotte. I think he had problems throwing the slider uh, with the major league baseball, but based on the way he's throwing right now, uh, the the slider seems to be doing more for him swings and misses. So if he carries that along, you know, maybe he's more interesting than he looked uh, at the end of last season.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, I think right now, if opening day was going to be later this week, I'd say Ryan Burr has pitched well enough to earn at least be in the bullpen to start 2019. Yeah. Just because just I, I, I'm i with you. I like Juan Mania. Juan Mania was one of the better White Sox relievers, especially in the second half of 2018. But I'm a bit concerned because he's just not throwing the ball really well uh, during spring training camp. And you mentioned all the lefties that are really struggling here. And then you have Ryan Burr, who's just been lights out. for for the White Sox when he's gotten the opportunity. But, you know, again, we don't want to overblow bad spring training stats. We don't want to overblow good spring training stats as well. But from what I have seen from Ryan Burr, uh, I think that he should be considered to start the bullpen or at least start the year out of the White Sox bullpen in 2019. Whether that happens or not, uh, I'm not quite sure because I haven't – I mean, is Ryan Burr on the 40-man roster? Yes. Okay.
1: So, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I think there will be a lot of flux, you know, even if somebody makes the opening day roster, you know, it could be, we saw it with Juan Mania, you know, last year, he had a really rough start, uh, sent down, you know, brought back up, you know, it's, it's, uh, I I think the April will be, uh, uh, you know, there could be a case where they turn over maybe two or three spots in the bullpen just by seeing what springs were real, uh, which ones were iffy. And then, you know, seeing how guys are throwing the ball in Charlotte, uh, seeing if anybody struggles in Chicago and then make, flipping the switch. So I imagine by the end of April, assuming there aren't you know injuries that force lesser players into the situation, that it will be um, you know a couple spots turned over by the end of the month. Well, that's what we could look forward to as far as watching
0: the last two weeks of spring training for the Chicago White Sox. But in other baseball news, Adam Jones, the former Baltimore Oriole outfielder just signed a one-year, $3 million deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, He does have a chance of earning an additional $2 million more in incentives, so it could be a one-year, $5 million deal. And the joke for a while, Jim, about Adam Jones was that the White Sox signing Adam Jones would be a typical White Sox signing uh, but they opted to not go in that route. Instead, for additional outfielder help, uh, they offered Brandon Geyer a minor league deal. We haven't seen much of Brandon Geyer in spring training as he's dealing with a nagging elbow injury. Uh, now knowing what Adam Jones signed for, would the White Sox been better off going that route uh, instead of signing Geyer?
1: Well, I think Geyer's on a minor league contract, so uh, I imagine Jones had a lot of minor league contract offers. Um, you know, getting the major league deal with guaranteed money with a guaranteed roster spot was the bigger issue. I think in that case, John Jay would be the guy that, uh, you know, they went for. And I, and I think, you know, Jay, okay. uh, he's controversial now because Manny Machado is not here. Uh, but I think he was the more sensible acquisition of the two Machado adjacent players that the White Sox acquired. Jay, you know, he provides left-handed on base percentage. He plays a good corner outfield defense, which none of the incumbent corner outfielders do so you know he he fills a need and makes the pitching staff's job a little bit easier you know alonzo i I think was more uh uh cordoning off dh uh at bats for one guy when you have a a wide open roster and a lot of different directions he can go in the offseason i think that was more unfortunate but uh i I think jay being left-handed and and jones being a righty that doesn't have massive platoon splits and not really being a center fielder anymore, I, I think that was his main obstacle with getting a roster spot. I think it's, you know, I, I do think it's a little bit troubling just, you know, how long he had to go to be assigned and how little he got uh, based on his track record. And I, I like him personally. Uh, I'm a fan of the person. So I wouldn't have minded, and, and I would have, you know, more or less shrugged off the uh, Kenny Williams move criticism just because uh, he would make the White Sox a little bit more competent and professional. But, um, I think Jay for that roster spot fills the needs a bit better. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that Jones signed somewhere. Yeah. You know,
0: I didn't even think about comparing Adam Jones to John Jay, but I, I don't know how I feel. I don't, I, I may side with signing Adam Jones to be the right fielder.
1: Yeah, no, I could see it. I could see it either way. Um, you know, also, I guess it, we'll see how much uh, center field Jones plays. Uh I, I would say Jay might be a bit yes. better in center, but neither should be stretched that much. So um, you know, there's that. But yeah, I could see Jones having a decent season. Uh he, he's not really an OBP guy. I think that's the thing you worry about for a guy in his thirties that relies on on you know more or less power and bat speed that you know things slow down a bit for him and all of a sudden his OBP is below three hundred. Um, you know, that might be some of the concern that teams are dealing with. So Jay has a chance of aging a bit better in that regard. Um, But I would say they're more or less equal and they, uh, you know, for the White Sox needs and they more or less signed equal contracts.
0: Yeah. Maybe something we can compare during the 2019 season, along with the, uh, yeah. James McCann and Martine Maldonado. (laughs) I think we have a good idea on how that one's going to end up, Jim. Uh, (laughs) Even though James McCann, he's hitting
1: in spring training. I think it would be nice. I think if McCann throws out a few runners in the first month, especially against the Royals, like a team built for speed, that would be a little bit reassuring. I'd like to see that. Well, if he's catching Lucas Giolito, good luck. That's part of the reason why he's there. So I am curious to see how that works out. Yeah. Well,
0: again, we do, we have two weeks left in spring training There's plenty of things to pay attention to as the White Sox prepare themselves or prepare to get ready for the 2019 season. But you guys also had plenty of questions for us this week. So let's start tackling them next in P.O. Sox.
1: You've stuffed our mailbox all
0: week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. resubmitted you your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Socks Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and helping support the show and the site by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And Jim, we got some good questions this week. The first question we got... The first question we received on Twitter is from Weird Bragg, and Weird Bragg is asking, is it unreasonable to expect the White Sox to look at anybody else left in the free agency market? Saw some people grumbling about the signing of Adam Jones to Arizona, but I'd be more interested in the Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, etc., and even Carlos Gonzalez
1: to fill areas of need this year and beyond. I'm thinking it's, I would say it's not unreasonable to want the White Sox to explore it, but I think it might be on the unreasonable side to expect. I think they're more or less going with what they have, especially if Irvin Santana is healthy. I think he's somebody who, you know, based on his track record, if you can more or less write off what he did last year because of the finger injury and he has a little bit of decline um, left in him from his 2017 was really good. So I think if he can somehow resume a decline from there and be like an Average pitcher, slightly below average, but offers innings, I think that serves a purpose. So, uh, you know, should they feel good about Santana, he's probably the fifth starter with Banuelos backing him up. And so a, a even if the White Sox were interested in signing a player, I don't know if that player would be interested in signing with the White Sox. They might be able to find an opportunity elsewhere, especially, you know, and, and maybe the White Sox on this team, you know, if, if an injury pops up, maybe somebody becomes more interesting but i think if everybody remains healthy the white Sox have five starters and uh you know also the as we talked about with you know jones and such and, and john jay and alonzo i think you know they're more or less set with their corners and their dh and you know that's that's part of the uh, the issue i had with the alonzo trade is just that you know when you clog up the dh spot with a first baseman like they have you know several times over the years, and, and when it's not a hitter of Jim Tomey's caliber, uh, it just more or less limits the ways you can go in the in the position. Uh, uh, the guys, you know, I guess uh, you don't have to worry about positions when acquiring hitters. You can kind of just go for the best hitter and mix and match in the field and DH spot uh, in, in that situation. And the White Sox seem to uh, just not care for the flexibility. And, you know, maybe it was in this case that they really wanted uh, Alonzo for the emotional pull, uh, knowing that, uh, they weren't going to go top dollar and it didn't work out, but that's just, you know, really unfortunate. It's just because like somebody like Carlos Gonzalez, you know, if he's not really that great of an outfielder, he fits in a corner at best, and he's more of a DH and you don't have DH at bats and he, uh corner at bats are also limited. If Eloy comes up, it's just, there's not much room there. So, uh, I, I don't think they're a great landing spot for, uh, free agents that have accomplished things, and uh, you know they're in this weird in-between spot where they have signed major leaguers to major league contracts or acquired guys in major league contracts, but they could have done better.
0: I'm just still amazed that Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell are free agents. Yeah.
1: Yep. It, it's it's uh, you know a lot was written about Adam Jones not having a job, but uh, I think those are exhibits right now with you know Harper and Machado finding teams. Those are exhibits uh, uh, A and B that free agency is broken.
0: Yeah. I just I know Dallas Keuchel is not the ace that he was a few years ago for Houston, but this is a guy that can throw an effective one hundred and eighty innings plus for a team that wants to be contending. And Craig Craig Kimbrell, I just I that I don't understand. I maybe his asking price is ridiculous and nobody wants to meet it, but even on a one year show me type of deal, like I think he's worth the one year sixteen million to eighteen million dollars. Go close out games for us, uh, for any team that's looking to contend this year. I'm just, I'm really shocked that they're still free agents, and I'll even be more shocked next week, Jim, if we're still talking about them being free agents. And I wonder if we'll see them even pitch at all in 2019. That that would be wild.
1: Yeah, it's 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 troubling for these guys too, just because you get to a point. Where you know, if you if they wait for a long time to sign and then they show up and they don't quite find it, like Alex Cobb signed really late, had a bad year for Baltimore, Greg Holland signed really late, um, yeah, it really hasn't looked anything like he did in Kansas City. Um, and, and it seems like you know, with guys who start spring training really late, just have a hard time finding it. There's not a great track record for these late signings, so at some point, it's like, yeah, yeah, the longer. Keichel Waits or, or Kimberl Waits, it's almost like they fall into a trap where where uh, all of a sudden teams can point and say, look, that's why we didn't sign them, even though just this irregular spring might be the bigger reason why they've been so off their games.
0: So let's continue this conversation with our next question out of the mailbag, and this comes from Pete Chapman. And Pete is asking, Jim, do you feel like the White Sox have missed an opportunity to sign respectable above-average players late in this offseason based on early weird signings or punting because they didn't get Machado. Names like Adam Jones, Mike Moustakis, Marwin Gonzalez, and as we talked about a little bit before, Martin Malinato, uh, come to mind.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's uh, you know kind of apropos to what we've been talking about since uh, uh, the start of the show, um, or at least since I joined in. Um, Merck offered nothing. Thanks, Merck. Uh, <laughs> but uh no it's 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 troubling just uh that uh like say the infield you know we, for uh the entire 2018 season we saw that Yolmer sanchez was just a little bit overexposed you know, like he's a fine utility infielder he's a fine spot starter somebody goes down for an injury for a month he can fill in won't miss that big of a step because of his uh um you know his defense is just so strong and he's okay yeah you know, he's got an okay bat he's got a good bench bat Uh, passable short-term starter bet but we saw as the season went on had a you know just more or less faded and and more or less faded into the fate of a utility infielder so you're kind of all amped up for doing better at third base and you know you spend the offseason uh you know Wondering who is, you know, hoping it's Machado, thinking about backup plans. You know, Josh Donaldson signed early, so that was off the board. But just thinking about all the ways they could improve it, and then they just more or less, you know, shift the problem to second base. And, you know, I I think that might be the most emblematic part of their offseason, is just, uh, um, you know, having the same infielder shifted around and hoping for a better result. And, you know, it's possible that it might be uh, better just because I can imagine Mancata being... uh, a a good third baseman i would say maybe start him at average his first year but with the potential of being a good third baseman i could see sanchez being a, a a good second baseman and adequate with the bat there for a year but uh you know just limits the upside and limits the imagination and and adding quality players to the mix so uh you know jay as we talked about serves a purpose i think uh you know they might have bigger ideas for the um yeah maybe maybe I guess we'll see what Luis Basabe, you know, has when he comes back from the Hammond injury, although that's really a, you know, having a hand injury or wrist injury, anything like that really makes it hard to evaluate a hitter, especially in the first half of the season. So, you know, that's a little tricky, but uh, maybe they had bigger plans for the outfield. But the infield, I think, might be the bigger issue of just, like, having a bunch of ways you can go, you know, whether it's Machado, whether it's, you know, Marwin Gonzalez, somebody who can fill a whole bunch of spots uh, competently. And just having no interest, um, and, and having no interest, but also signing guys who are the kind of guys you sign when you, uh, you know, when you're not really having much of an imagination or ambition, you know, that's it, it's disappointing. And I think, you know, the lack of buzz has been commensurate with that, but, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll find out, uh, you know, should a Jimenez hit, see how, I guess how much uh, attention that can soak up. And also Mancada if he can, you know, carry the spring of the season and just look more like an above-average player. You know, I think Star might be a little bit out of reach for him just because of the contact issues. Um, but uh, I think even if he settles into above-average player at third base, that really helps. Um, and then hopefully you just have second base to solve and maybe Madrigal's the guy that solves it. But yeah, it's I, I think the... You know, looking at the offseason, I think Alonzo just, you know, cementing himself in that DH spot is is maybe the, um, you know, the move I think the White Sox might regret the most. And helping out a divisional rival. Yeah. With payroll. Yeah. Uh, if anybody uh, didn't see the post on Sunday, I linked to a Ringer article where they talked about, you know, would the Indians beat a team composed of the best other AL Central players? Well and they almost do it. I think that says the quality overall quality of the Twins, White Sox, Royals
0: and Tigers. I want to know I mean a lot of that team that super AL Central team would have to be Twins players, right?
1: Yeah. And and I think uh you know and Sanoa is one of these out. Um you know they're counting on a Byron Buxton, you know, uh comeback finally sticking, but yeah, it's it's ugly and uh you know, the Indians. You know they have stars, but in especially that rotation. I think that's really where there was some separation. Um, you know, having Mike Clevenger as a fifth uh, is better than you know, a lot of the AL Central's seconds or thirds. So that's a little bit troubling. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an ugly division, it, and and the Indians have some weaknesses too. That their outfield's a mess, and you know when you're trying to pick from four other teams, there should be some separation. You should be able to find. You know, enough, you know, maybe you won't make up any, nobody will make up a a deficit on Francisco Lindor or Jose Ramirez, but they had some opportunities to separate themselves and couldn't. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's weak. And, and the Indians didn't need much help in the White Sox. Might have given them a little bit of flexibility, especially, you know, come the deadline. Yeah, we'll have to see if the White Sox front office handles next year's free
0: agency differently than they did this year. Uh, pray to the baseball gods that they do. But Pete, good question. Thank you so much for submitting it. Our next question comes from Mark Hope. And Mark is asking, Jim, if the White Sox don't win the World Series in 2005, does the organizational approach look any different over the last decade?
1: This is a good question. Uh, My initial instinct was to say, you know, especially like, say, if say Kenny Williams made it to the world series, uh, you know, his team made it to the world series. They didn't win it. That still might be enough to, yeah. Given that no White Sox team made the world series since 1959, you know, I think that might be enough to buy him a whole lot of leeway, maybe even the same amount of leeway. And so the front office, there are no material changes there. Um, you know, if they get nowhere near the world series, if it's another kind of uh, one and done playoff appearance, um, you know, maybe that's enough, but also, you know, looking at the bulls and, Looking like the way that team is run with John Paxson and uh, Gar Foreman being there forever, uh, you know, perhaps he's at a point where he just doesn't want to trust anybody else with the you know day to day operations of his major league team, so he sticks with them the same. Yeah, you know, there really is no material change. Uh, I think that's really what it comes down to. But uh, I think when it comes to the big picture and and, and trying to extrapolate, uh, yeah, I guess a diversion in the timeline. Uh, I imagine you just go with Jerry Reinsdorf what his tendencies are and 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 imagine those will be the strongest factors and there was a, a comment on on the site uh Melito Perez made it not the Melito Perez but uh or at least I assume if it's Melito cool but um <laughs> he had a he had a good point just saying that when when talking about the uh how short they came up in the Machado uh, pursuit and the Harper pursuit, and he said that you know he didn't get his hopes up just because. In 2006, or the, uh, the the winter after the 2005 season, you know, after they won the World Series and Jerry Reinsdorf achieved his dream and Paul Canerco had done uh, everything expected of him and more to get him across the finish line and, and and get him that title and handed him the ball, and then Canerco hit free agency, Jerry Reinsdorf did not offer top dollar for Paul Canerco. He made Canerco accept a below market rate for his services, or at least, you know, on canerco to you know return to chicago as a free agent except a little less than what baltimore offered him and i think maybe the angels too um but yeah it's you would think and if all those factors are in canerco's favor to get paid uh, and and paid top of yeah i I guess the top bid everything was in his favor and yet it they didn't offer the most (laughs) they made canerco have to uh uh, you know, decide for himself. And Canerco did. And I I imagine White Sox fans are very grateful, but you know, he could have gone elsewhere afterwards and apparently Reinsdorf wouldn't have flinched. So I, I think when it comes to these kind of timelines, you just have to assume that, you know, Reinsdorf's strange habits or, you know, his, his overarching MO to, um, not go all out for free agents and, and, um, you know, spread money around rather than investing it in stars. Uh, that's probably the way he would continue to go, regardless of you know whether the White Sox won the World Series or whether their their drought would be now reaching a hundred and two years.
0: So, do you think Kenny Williams would still be the GM in this scenario? Could be,
1: uh, yeah. Especially like say if they you know did make it to the World Series and. Yeah, did make it, you know, to an, a subsequent playoff appearance. You know, maybe. Well, I think with Kenny, you know, he stepped down really just for his own personal well-being. Uh, I think he had some stress issue, stress issues that he wanted to deal with and not have to deal with the day to day and 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 getting away from it a little bit. And so, yeah, I imagine he might not be the GM, or he might be kicked up the way Ron Schuler was uh, kicked up to make room for Kenny Williams as the GM. Yeah, it just seems to like be the way that Jerry Reinsdorf does things. So. Uh, I guess the answer would be uh, what has he done and uh, assume that's what he will do. It's a really interesting question, Mark.
0: Thank you so much for submitting it and great questions from everybody this week. In Socks, thank you guys so much for submitting questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, again follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash socks machine. And you can also help support the show by signing up to become a friend of the website and the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. We have several tiers that you can sign up and join. And Jim, for some of our Patreon supporters, they are now getting some cool socks Machine swag. Any more details you can share with our listeners about that?
1: Well, yep. i uh, been sending them out. A um, le- couple of trips to the post office, more in store. I'm making friends there. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, sending out envelopes with... Uh, well, I think we're through the t-shirts now, right? So uh, ran out of those yep. for the time being. But yeah, stickers, magnets, coasters. The coasters came out great. I ordered a whole bunch of them, so I'm sending those out. And uh, uh, waiting on uh, a- an order next week, uh, and I will not spoil it yet, but uh, I will reveal that i uh, got something really cool in the works coming, uh, should be in the next few days, and look forward to announcing that.
0: Yes, and if you're interested in getting Socks Machine swag, the only way you can get it at the moment is helping support us at patreon.com slash So if you enjoy our work on SoxMachine.com, you love the writing and you love the podcast, again, just go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. You get additional content and now you get swag out of it. How awesome is that? So uh, greatly appreciate everyone's support that already supports us today. On Patreon, but that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to our guest Scott Merkin of MLB.com, being gracious with his time, calling in from Arizona to giving us the latest on the White Sox from spring training camp. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to our show in a number of ways. One, of course, is through iTunes. Just so search "Sox Machine" in iTunes, and you can subscribe. Via iTunes, there. Uh, if you've never left a review about our show on iTunes, please do so. Love to hear your guys' feedback on how you feel about this show. Uh, again, we're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboomcom Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.